Well, Super Bowl week, which is always a fun week to talk the overlay between business and sports because, uh, my goodness, how many different versions of that there are when the Super Bowl rolls around. It's not only the biggest football game, biggest sporting event in America, also one of the biggest advertising opportunities within America as well. So we'll get to all that. But I want to ask you, we're here at uh, Studio 49, Justin Angle here on the University of Montana campus. It is the business angle, proudly presented by Blackbook Communications. Apple, the other, uh, I guess last week, launched their new, I guess it's called Vision Pro. Vision Pro, yeah, yeah. I, I am like totally freaked out by this. Some of it looks so cool, and then some of it I'm like, what is happening? It is unbelievable. For those that are unfamiliar, it's basically virtual reality. It's everything from I could be at the Lakers game courtside if I'd like, or I could have my virtual office while sure. I'm riding on the subway, or I can do deep fakes with my wife and make her look like Angelina Jolie. I don't know. All of it is just so crazy. But this is uh, this is a huge breakthrough in the world of AI. Uh, it, it is a breakthrough of a sort. I mean, one thing that Apple does really well is it makes beautiful devices. Truth. Right. And, you know, and I think that they're, when they sort of make a move like this, it's a signal that they're investing in what they think is the future of our relationship with technology. Um, inherently, I'm a bit of a skeptic, particularly of these wearables, particularly of these wearables that we put on our faces. Me too. Um, However, you know, if 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 something like the Vision Pro can replace a computer monitor and can create more intimacy in work meetings and things like that, I could see some potential for it. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to live in a world where like people are walking around with these things on and they're not interacting at a human level and you know all those sort of like you know, the more and more our lives are mediated by technology. I don't like living in a world where people are paying more attention to their phones than the right. than the actual human beings they're they're with. So, you know, I, I do have some skepticism. I can't tell if that skepticism is uh, confounded with my sort of age and just becoming an old codger. But um, yeah, I've I've got mixed feelings about this product. I I, I do too. One thing one thing I always lead upon is that. More convenient does not necessarily mean better. That seems to be yes. the bill of goods that we are sold all the time. And in certain cases, it's true. In other cases, I just don't think that it's true. I think a lot of times, like, the the patience it takes to create something or having it be faster doesn't necessarily make it, make it better. Absolutely. Faster and more abundant and easier to use. I mean, those things are not necessarily um, predictive of better. Right, and so I'll have to sort of see like how this thing. What are the use cases? If it, if it becomes something that, you know, enables better video gaming and sure. more time on screens, it's less like you're on a screen. It's more like you're in a screen, even. So, if it if it continues to create you know more tethers between humans and technology, I'm generally not a fan. If it allows us to you know somehow create more equitable outcomes in our workspaces to help people with disabilities uh, view the world in, in in better ways or more complete ways then i think there's some potential there and and, and it has to be like do the and I, this is part of a broader stream of inquiry i'm doing in my work here is trying to think about when it comes to marketing of products and business in general like, how do you balance societal benefits versus societal harms? And, right. And, 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 
we don't have many good models for thinking about that within capitalism. So, um, right, yeah. we only we only think of generally the financial benefit at the end of the day, right? Well, that is a measure, right? Shareholder value, sure. Right, and we think of that in a market-based economy as a measure of quality, right? Is that like that's the market speaking? That's the invisible hand of the market doing its work, and you know, there's some utility in that. There's there's beautiful efficiency to that, but there are these externalities and um, you know these consequences that are sometimes unforeseen or explained away, or oftentimes what you see is. You know, in industries working in a coordinated eff- a way, and they can kind of capture a marketplace. Right. And the way they sort of defend that position is by saying, hey, it's up to the no individual doubt. consumer to make better choices. And, and you know, a lot of times as individuals, we're kind of powerless against that. I've thought about this a lot. I was at the, uh, the Hellgate Sentinel high school basketball games yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and I was just observing teenagers. That's always just a fun thing to do because you can just learn so much about what the adolescents of your community are, are acting like, dressing like, being like. I had a little fun because there was four guys that were dressed up as ESPN guys, and they had an ESPN table there. Sure. So I went and messed with them a little bit. I said, hey, this is like a $100,000 copyright violation. <laughs> they were like, no, no, no way. And then I, I was like, no, I'm just kidding. I have an ESPN show. You guys should listen to it. And if you ever want an internship, come see me. <laughs> but they were, they were scared. Regardless, um, I, I was thinking this, though, because we were watching all of the – kids walk around just staring at their phones yeah like running into people or not looking up and i was thinking to myself though this is a totally dystopian way of thinking of this but i was thinking to myself what philip morris and cigarettes had to deal with a long time ago i think that's going to be something that the marketers and the advertising behind smartphones are going to have to deal with sometime right just the detriments of it the addictive nature of it for, oh, absolutely. I mean, forever we were told cigarettes are not addictive. And then when the whistleblower came out and then, oh, yes, they are. And everybody widely agrees with that now. It's just going to be interesting to see how this, I don't know when that's going to come though, because the the power of the convenience of it all is overpowering the, maybe the detriments, at least to this point. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to you have to distinguish between the device and what the device is being used for. And, and social media seems like this perfect constellation, like I, the analogy that I'm sort of using with is social media is like methamphetamine and the phone is heroin. And so you're being served <laughs> meth Two, right. on a bed of heroin because the phone itself is designed to be addictive. Absolutely. But the uh, social media platform is is designed to hold you on it in a similar way for as long for as sure. possible. And the research on its effects on you know emotional well-being, particularly among our our young people, particularly among our young girls, is just is devastating. A uh, new study out showing that, or new some new data suggesting that heavy users of social media are twice as likely to commit suicide than light, light users of social I, media. I mean, as my good our good friend Regime Seabrook always says, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. So. Let's talk about some more positive stuff. It's the business angle here. Sure. Uh, on what is now ESPN Radio. Coming up tomorrow, our ESPN Roundtable is going to feature an awesome guest, uh, a guy I've actually got to know pretty well over the years, a pro football Hall of Famer. He, for a long time, had the the, uh, the distinction of being the only kicker in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's also a Montana State alum, Jan Stenerud. He played 19 years in the NFL. Um, what a story. I mean, he came to Montana State as a Finnish skier, he was great at soccer. He starts kicking. All of a sudden, he becomes the greatest kicker in NFL history. The hook here is, though, he played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you watched the AFC Championship game, the man who presented Clark Hunt, Lamar Hunt's son, with the Lamar Hunt trophy, who's named after the the founding owner of the Chiefs, 
uh, was Jan Stenerud. So pretty cool. Who's joining us tomorrow? That's all to say, Jan told me an interesting story. Hmm. Lamar Hunt founded and, and I guess, initially purchased the rights for the stadium for the Chiefs back in 1960 for $25,000. Wow. The Chiefs are now worth... I don't know if the if the Washington football team is selling for six billion and the Denver Broncos are selling between four four and four and a half billion. Yeah. It's somewhere in between there. Sure. So yeah. so uh, that's a pretty good return on investment for the Hunt family. It's just crazy to think. I know 1960 is a lot longer ago than maybe we want to admit, but uh, I mean 73 years for that sort of a return is pretty profound, regardless of what industry you're talking. Yeah, about. from 25. 25- a thousand to you know three or four billion something like that i mean that's just incredible rate of return i'd have to pull out the calculator to sort of right? calculate that number uh, no doubt i don't know if anybody would have ever thought that uh, the nfl would get to this point um but i wanted to ask you a whole bunch of uh, super bowl questions first sure. of all we've talked about co- uh, pretty much constantly here on the business angle presented by blackfoot communications about the the the, the war that is currently exists for broadcasting rights, whether they're going to be streamed or the television contracts that are associated with these pro sports, who's getting what, who's showing what. Yeah. The Super Bowl, for uh, at least since 1970, at least since the merger, has been on network TV, and that's what's made it such a huge event. Is there any scenario in which you could see one of the big boys coming in and saying, let's put the Super Bowl on Amazon Prime? Is that even a feasible scenario? I think so. I think there is a model where you could put the Super Bowl behind a paywall and have it be like a pay-per-view boxing event. Man. And the thing that will sort of be a pushback against that is the advertising dollars, right? Like it's seen as such a showcase for advertisers to reach such a broad audience. But I mean, is, is it is it the broadest audience in advertising, would you say? Yeah, it's the largest um, – yeah, I think it's the, the, the most viewed outside of the World Cup. As, as right. far as like a United States-based piece of media content, mm-hmm. it is it has the largest single-day audience. And so therefore, what comes with it is is the ability to reach just a ton of people. The problem is you don't have a lot of data as to who those people are and how engaged they are with your message. So it's, it is casting a wide net with, without a lot of precision. Right, and and so advertisers continuously trade off that sort of depth for breadth, right? Like, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. I want to go after more eyeballs, or do I want to go after a specific set of eyeballs with a message that I know is right for that set of eyeballs, right? And so, you know, what we've been seeing is with particularly with social media, like that level of precision uh, translates highly into efficacy, right? If you can get your your message to the right, like targeting is kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to get your message to – and some people argue that the targeting, like who you deliver your message to, is actually more important that, to invest in than the message itself. Interesting. Right? And so that would argue strongly against the Super Bowl ad as a, as a construct. Sure. Because the Super Bowl ad is this hugely flashy, expensive thing to produce. It costs a ton to get the media space, and it, it kind of is this this like – Almost theatrical production, right? In a way, there's very little call to action. A, a lot of times, it's right? hard. I mean, you you can do that, you but can. you're not. You can't be targeted. You can't go after a specific audience, right? Mostly the you know the Budweisers and Coca Colas and yeah. Frito Lays of the world. They just want the commercial that people are talking about. It's not hey go buy Budweiser here or go buy Budweiser because it's oh, we're talking about Budweiser the next day because they had this person on the commercial or they did that funny thing during the commercial. Yeah, there's that effect, right? Like there's so much sort of 
downstream spillover effects mm-hmm. of a good Super Bowl ad, so much so that they, sometimes the strategy is explicitly around, like, how do we generate um, content for social media or, or shareable content that others can clip and share and mm-hmm. talk about or review or whatever. But, you know, juxtapose the Super Bowl ad against some really targeted piece of marketing on a TikTok feed or an Instagram feed when you know exactly who you're, well, pretty close to exactly who you're serving it to and under what conditions you can measure their engagement, you can measure their response. And so, you know, generally we've been seeing dollars flowing out of television advertising and into social media advertising over the last, you know, 15 years or so. And, you know, does that trend continue? Well, the Super Bowl is is an interesting kind of watershed for that. If you see the Super Bowl having trouble selling that ad space or decline in price for that ad space, Mm -hmm. and it's been up and down over the last few years, um, you know, that could be a bellwether event to some sort of transition in how the Super Bowl itself as a game is delivered to customers. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications here on Nuwana's Now ESPN Radio. It would be fascinating to see that sliding scale, right? Because if you're talking about last year, for example, was the most viewed Super Bowl ever. I'm actually looking at all the Super Bowl viewership uh, numbers, though. And the NFL has grown exponentially over the last 30 or 40 years, no question about it. The Super Bowl has not grown nearly as exponentially. Still more viewers. 114.7 million people watched the Super Bowl last year. But, I mean, to put that in perspective, there's been at least 85 million viewers every year since 1985. And even as recently, I mean, you're talking 86, 92 million viewers, 93, 99 million viewers. So you're talking almost 100 million viewers 30 years ago. We've had 14 million, but that's not as much of a huge gain. But the sliding scale I'm talking about would be fascinating. If you did it at a pay-per-view, okay, how many people can you get to buy it? What is the cost? And what does that number look like compared to what the advertising revenue is? Yeah, so a question I would ask there, like there's some logic to suggest that like Facebook could buy the rights to the Super Bowl and broadcast it. Or Meta or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Meta. And then within that pitch to advertisers, like if if you're – if you're meta, you have the ability to serve different ads Target to different viewers. Right. Right. Like the ads you see while watching the Super Bowl sure. could be different than the ads right. that I see. Yes. And so you're sort of combining the reach with the targeting ability. Now the question there is is a super is the production is are the skills and capabilities that go into producing the Super Bowl uh, transferable? Now, mm. Could Facebook buy those skills? from NBC, from right. you know CBS, whoever. They just buy the team and duplicate that process, that production in-house, or you know, does, does ABC, a great NBC, point. CBS have some unique special sauce that make them really good at what they do that's difficult for another company to buy and, and, and imitate? Now, Amazon's production values for their, their Thursday night NFL has been pretty good. You get the right team in the box, you know, broadcasting sure. a live event. Doesn't appear to be all that difficult if you get the the right sort of camera crew and, and all that. But um, or I shouldn't say it's not difficult. It is difficult, but it's not difficult to buy that talent and bring it in house. So sure, yeah. There's a lot of questions to answer here, but I think it 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 presents some interesting thought exercises as to how this could go. Yeah, it certainly could. It'd be fascinating to see if if that ever was to be up for bid or if there was ever a consideration for pay per view uh, for the Super Bowl. That said, even with 
sort of the, the change we've seen in advertising yeah. over the last 10 years. Do you feel like this still is uh, an opportunity that, that companies have to be a part of if they have the, the capital to do so? I don't think they have to. And we've seen... I was wondering know, that because, you know, at, at some point it's like, well, what if we just... I don't even know what a Super Bowl commercial costs this year. I mean, last year was something like $7 million something for like a 30-second commercial. Yeah. Let's just say it's still... Let's say it's $8 million. Mm-hmm. You're talking about target advertising. I mean, imagine the target advertising you can get on social media or in other platforms for that amount of money. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's a need for any brand in particular to be... Uh, a part of the Super Bowl. There's some that we expect to be, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world, mm-hmm. the McDonald's of the world, Ford, Chrysler, etc. like these big kind of legacy brands, right? And we expect them to be there. It's somewhat conspicuous when they're not, but they're, they're, there's years where Pepsi sits it out and Pepsi seems to be plugging along <laughs> right. just fine. Yeah. I don't feel like these, you know, it's it's on rare occasions where these ads have a meaningful impact on the bottom line, like that Chrysler com- uh, commercial with M&M. That like in some ways was a centerpiece of a total turnaround of that brand, um, both in terms of its internal culture, but also how it was perceived by the public. So these things can have great effect, but are they required? I don't think that's a required spend. Fascinating. It'll be interesting to see who uh, who pays the play, I guess, so to say, this year. When it comes to um, the the market, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I think right now is probably the most marketable professional athlete in sure. America. I mean, yeah. one of at least. He's certainly on the most commercials. What do you think of sort of that opportunity Mahomes commercials for Allstate, for example, were going to be on the Super Bowl no matter what. Yeah. The fact that he's playing, does that make the the ad more valuable sort of organically? Or what do you think of that element of it? Yeah, I don't know that there's been uh, research done on this question specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that generally speaking, there's... There's there's a saturation effect, mm-hmm. right? That that has to be you know that, that has to be a counterbalance to all of this. Like, is the public just sick of him? And it doesn't appear that the public is sick of him, right? Um, not to the extent that they're you know maybe sick of Travis Kelsey, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. Uh, so I, I I think you have to weigh it against like you know maybe some idiosyncratic effects. Like, how is he playing in the game? And does that affect, you know, so if you're thinking Patrick Holmes, you know, is, is having a bad moment, does that spill over into how you view the Allstate Avid if it comes after a bad series or something like that? Or the inverse, which is probably more likely, if he does something spectacular and then you carry that halo of amazement into your experience of the um, the State Farm ad, that, that could provide some sort of extra juice to the ad. I was thinking about this the other day too. We know about just the prestige of the the quarterback position. Yeah. But throughout most of the NFL's history, there's been multiple quarterbacks. Even with Tom Brady, he always had peers, not only in on the field, but in the the world of Madison Avenue of advertising. Peyton Manning was actually probably a more sought after spokesperson for most of the first parts of their sort of parallel careers. I was thinking about this though. We've had these sort of like the most iconic per- advertiser or endorser in America. And that that guy was Michael Jordan unquestionably for yep. like 15 years. Then it was Tiger Woods for probably another, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Sure. Kobe Bryant was probably in that. 
because of his global reach and, and just how popular, especially he is in China and, and Asia in general. I don't know if it's ever actually belonged. The crown has never sat upon upon a quarterback's head like it has, like it does right now. In a singular way. With the court yeah. way with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think, gosh, I mean, maybe Joe Montana for maybe. a period of time yeah. was on top of that heap. Yeah. But, um, but even then, like the guys that were getting the commercials in the 70s and 80s were the O.J. Simpsons of the world, you know? That's Walter true. Payton. Yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, I can't think of another example of an NFL quarterback having this sort of. Um, I mean, Jim McMahon had it for like one year when yeah. they, when the Bears, the '85 Bears, were just such a legendary team. McMahon and his sunglasses and all that, but that was such a flash in the pan. Yeah, I'd say you know Tom Brady had it kind of late. In he his did career. for sure. He certainly didn't. What? And that's kind of an interesting question. Like he didn't have it during. Well, this would this would spawn a whole debate amongst your listeners. Like, what it, what was actually the peak of his career? Sure, sure. Uh, was there such a thing, or was right. it just a sustained period right. of, of 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 greatness? Um, but yeah, I can't think of somebody who kind of crowded out the other people that played his position in such a way. From a pure marketability standpoint, it sort of makes sense too, though. Brady, even towards the end of his career. The whole story of Tom Brady, how he became more athletic and better looking as his career went <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. it sort of made him like unattainable to the everyday American, though, because they're looking at this guy and they're like, how's this guy anti-aging in his 40s? Right. How does he look twice as good in year 20 as when he was at the NFL Draft Combine? This is... This is not like the rest of us, you know, and he's eating his kale chips and, you know, TB12 and drinking 400 ounces of water a day, right. all these things. I think that the thing about Mahomes is... He's just such a middle American, you know? He, he talks like Kenny Powers, and he's got his funny haircut. And he's a great athlete, but he's not like some Greek god. He's just a normal-looking guy. Uh, and he carries himself in exactly. a normal, accessible exactly. way. Like that quarterback show on Netflix humanized him. Totally. In a way, he just seems like he's a kid out there slinging it, having the time of his life. His marriage seems wholesome. He yep. seems like a good dad. His wife, I mean, she's beautiful, but she seems like... She's just a normal gal. They've known each other since high school gal. Yeah. they've been together since high school yeah he's not married to Giselle like that's the other part yeah. about Tom Brady that's unattainable you know yeah it's kind of like you know when uh, George W. Bush was running for president and people would say like I can picture having a beer with that guy like yeah you can picture having a beer with uh, right. Patrick Mahomes Tom Brady I don't know like I don't know if they had the wardrobe for that <laughs> right and like Tom wouldn't drink any beer he'd probably have... not he'd like have some sort of you know <laughs> oxygenized mineral yep. water or something it is it is interesting I mean we talked about the uh, the power issue the sports illustrated with power sway and they said that they said that's why mahomes is such absolutely the number one athlete because you could see yourself not only having a beer you could see yourself having four beers with him and i think that that's just it's humanizing like you just said perfectly to the the average average everyday american yeah it's hard to know if these people are actually human beings but he he, he appears to be one more so than others (laughs) no doubt uh the business single here on nuanas now espn radio talking all things uh super bowl Halftime show. Fascinating the way that this has evolved. For a long time, it was, uh, they really wanted contemporary people. Then it went to, like, catering to the boomers for sure. a while. Yep. And now we're actually to the point where it's, like, catering to Gen X. or yeah, or, even, or even, like, millennials. Like, Usher, it's crazy to say, because Usher seems like this new age artist. He's actually been around for 30 years now. Yeah, geez, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, he came out when he was like 16. Yeah. So, you know, he's by no means old. He's, I think he's in his early 40s. He just came out at such a young age. But, you know, we had the Dr. Dre uh, 
sort of hip hop one a couple of years ago. I don't know. It's it's interesting to see because forever it was just like, well, let's just put Bruce Springsteen up there or the Rolling Stones, and I think that caters to the probably most broad audience. I just I love the the opportunity here because you're going to see a lot of belly aching because there's going to be a lot of people, especially of like my parents' age, that are like. Who's Usher? What is this music? Yeah, <laughs> yet they still watch. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. the takeaway is that if you don't like the Super Bowl halftime show, you're not the audience that they're trying to recruit. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, they probably watch the numbers pretty closely and are like, which demographics are we soft in and which are we strong in? And like, wherever they're soft, they want to shore up that market. So they're going to bring in a performer that appeals to that market. It's probably pretty similar to that analysis, but you know, it's a complicated analysis. It has to be data-driven and you have to find this intersection of, you know, what does the data tell you and then who's available and who's available in such a way that they could hold the room and, and do it in a way that, um, you know, at the level of a Super Bowl. A incremental uh, increase in Super Bowl airtime this year. It was 7 million last year. We remember that correctly. It's 7.1 million this year. Yeah, so, so that's minor. Yeah, minor. Um, but still, uh, over $7 million. Uh, last couple of things for you here. The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Justin Angle and I recording down here at uh, Studio 49 on the University of Montana campus. I, I thought, I, as I always tell you, I'm sort of numb to all of this advertising stuff. I don't know if that's like a gift or a curse. I couldn't tell you my favorite Super Bowl commercial of the mm. last 10 years, except for I can. The only one I remember. I thought it was the most brilliant commercial I've ever seen. It was 30 seconds of just flashing crypto.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk about the greatest call to action, because if you know, you're going to log in. If you have no idea, you're probably still going to log in. Or if you're like paranoid and you're like, oh, I don't want a virus, you're still thinking about what the website is, right? I thought that was a very interesting tactic. I wonder if there'll uh, there'll be anything like that this year. Uh, you know, the, I think the the luster has worn off on the crypto thing. No doubt. A little bit. So it's hard to know kind of what the 2004 24 equivalent to yeah. that would be like what's in the cultural zeitgeist right now that that could that a simple call to action like that could be effective i'm not certain but i i do think the wisdom of what you reveal there is there's a couple different ways to go about the super bowl you know there's the just the general brand awareness if you're a new brand and just want to get on the radar of as many people as you can, you gotta go with a really simple breakthrough message, right? If you're a brand like Budweiser or Ford or one of these legacy companies, you have the opportunity to do some storytelling mm -hmm. and you can tell stories that are familiar to your customers and sort of reinforce those existing associations. Trying to change your reputation, probably too big a lift in a Super Bowl ad, but um, yeah, if you're new, go with something simple. If you're an older brand, you can go with a little richer storytelling. Because of the, uh, the how do you say this? The mass corporatization of America, yeah. basically. I guess what I'm thinking in my head is $4 million 20 years ago was nowhere near, or I guess was a lot more expensive than what $7 million is now. Like what I'm thinking of is that $7 million seems like a drop in the bucket for most people that would be pursued, most companies that would be pursuing a Super Bowl commercial. Is there like an opportunity here where everybody besides the corporate titans get forced out? I mean, I think there's, there's $7 million is real money. Yes. 
right? Like you don't, you, you, no matter what the size of the company, you don't slip that through sure. in, a, sure. in an approval for your boss without some heavy scrutiny. And I think um, particularly given these trade-offs we talked about between you know, sophisticated target, targeting and reach, you know, the, there's going to be scrutiny on on those dollars. Now, more and more dollars appear to be flowing into advertising. It continues to be the thing that we use to monetize so much of, I shouldn't say so much, almost all of the content we consume. <laughs> yep. So there does seem to be some wisdom in continuing to do it. And I think the numbers will will, will keep ticking up in the event in the absence of some disruption but i think that it's reasonable for businesses to look at that spend and say there might be other ways we can get a, a better rate of return on that it'd be fascinating to see how it all evolves last thing for you what do you think of this being in vegas well i gotta tell you <laughs> i booked tickets to see you two at the sphere oh, sat- wow. saturday night you did and i had no idea that the oh my super, gosh that's that awesome. the super bowl was at vegas so are you still next... going or no i'm going and okay I got, wow. a, I got a hotel and a flight and holy cow reasonable and i had no idea so you must have booked that way ahead of time no just like a f- really i bought the tickets like two months ago in the oh, hotel yeah. like a month ago and i have no idea like how i got a hotel on the strip for a reasonable price on saturday <laughs> night um and then we're getting out wow. of town at 6 a.m. on Sundays. <laughs> so, holy cow. So you are going to be uh, – I mean, first of all, I can't wait to hear how the sphere is. Yeah, exactly. This is like – looks like – I've only looked at it on Twitter or whatever. It looks like the most mind-blowing thing. I mean, people are coming out of this crying because it's so epic and visually stimulating and beautiful. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what it's all about. Have you seen U2 in concert before? I've seen every tour since the Joshua Tree. Oh, wow. So you're a big U2 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, U2 is – amazing so that, that'll be a sweet show it'll be fun so but back to your question it seems like you know why not right yeah right? everything's coming together we'll put it in vegas this is just like yeah you couldn't draw it up better we were we were teasing on the show the other day if you put the super bowl in vegas uh, and the 1991 cowboys were going there or you know like the late 70s oh, or early geez. 80s oakland raiders yeah i mean you could have a a, a whole media core covering the antics and like you know, the police blotters and what's going on, guys get in trouble. I don't think that I, I really do think that's a sign of how much more serious professional athletes are now, though. Like I would be utterly shocked if there was somebody that was like wrapped up in some sort of shenanigans or playing cards too late or you know, I don't know. Yeah, and these kind of shenanigans exist anywhere there's well, a that's Super right. Bowl, right? That, that's like, right. It doesn't that's take right. Vegas. That's right. That's to... right. That's right. I yeah, mean, you can find a place in New Orleans to drink too much bourbon or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, I think where the story probably is is all of the ancillary personnel, right? Like yeah. all of the 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 folks that a Super Bowl attracts and That's the right. antics that could be associated with that. Right. So it's an interesting question. I, th- I thought Marty made a great point. Coach Morningway made a great point too. He said that there used to be. If it's not in Vegas, there is sort of a, a finite number of people that can be involved in the yeah. events. It's not that it's infinite when it's in Vegas, but it, it's a lot closer to infinite because there's just so much more, so many more amenities. Yeah, the hotel thing is part of it, right? The city's designed for this kind of event. But when it's you know, if the Super Bowl's in Jacksonville, Florida, they will sell out of all the hotel rooms in Jacksonville. Yes. Whereas in Vegas, there's just so many hotels that you're just not going to sell out all of the hotels. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, somehow I got a room. It's still <laughs> sort of a shocker to me. Well, this is awesome. Well, I hope uh, I hope you enjoy you too. I also hope you uh, somehow meet Taylor Swift, and she'll be there at least, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get coffee or something. Kind <laughs> of love it. Jan Stenerud, who's coming on tomorrow, he told me this great story. He's like, because he presented the Lamar Hunt Trophy. He's on the field. He says, I see all these people. I've known Travis Kelsey forever. And he's like, and I said hi to Travis, but I, I didn't have the courage to introduce myself. I'm like, dude, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like, you are the, one of the greatest Chiefs of all time. She would totally be into meeting you. And he's like, I know, I know, I just couldn't do it. She's just a person. <laughs> She's just a person. Amazing. The Taylor Swift effect. It's Nuance Now, ESPN Radio. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you.